true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. About a week ago, we started our show regarding Tanique Wright, Ball Metal Pack, Platinum uh, organization that really set the bar for cruelty in the workplace. Tonight, we continue part two of this discussion, and it's important. Hang on to your seat, folks. AJC Radio takes off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Sefton Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, uh, Dennis Merritt, and our very special guest tonight, Tanique Wright, as we continue this discussion regarding 
uh, Cruelty in the Workplace uh, by Bob Meadowpack and Platinum uh, Organization. Uh, and what we talked about a week ago, dealing with a stroke uh, that was uh, that Tanique Wright had uh, as a result of workplace cruelty. Uh, we're going to deal with that, and we're going to uh, finalize the series tonight. We'll complete the series, rather. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's an interesting conversation that we, that we must have uh, because this is something, from what I understand, from our guest that's going to be joining, joining us at the bottom of the hour, uh, Eric Mish, Mishy, I believe, uh, who is a workplace uh, specialist, if you will, de- dealing with uh, stress-related issues at the workplace, different things that are triggered, how health is affected uh, as a result of, of workplace cruelty, workplace, workplace stresses, all of those things. I uh, had an opportunity to talk to him a couple of days ago, and I'll tell you what, this guy has a lot to say, and he said, as I began to explain to him uh, regarding uh, Ms. Wright's situation, uh, that it is more common than we can possibly imagine that these things are happening uh, at the hands of employers. So we're going to have an opportunity to have a conversation with him, uh, get into that. Clint, give us your thoughts as we go down this road again, uh, the importance of this discussion and why is it so important that our listeners hear it? Well, certainly uh, with Mr. Mish's uh, proviso that this is more common than we can possibly imagine. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to hear about that because he's going to present some facts uh, based on his experience and expertise. But this is uh, workplace cruelty in corporate America. It's just outlandish. It's, it's, it's absolutely uh, cruel and really uh, looks to the nature of this country um, with employers doing people the way that they do. It's just, it's just abominable. As we talked last week uh, regarding Tanique's situation, Ms. Wright, um, to our co-host here at the table, Dave Zapolo, how troubling was it to you, given a week to digest these things, uh, that we were very troubling uh, a week ago? Give me your thoughts on that as we get ready for part two and the final conclusion of this series. This is a very troubling uh, situation that you saw. You have a company that's completely despicable, people that don't care about their workers. You have a young woman here that was doing a good job, that had a stroke, and then after the stroke, they fired her and said, well, we were planning on doing that anymore. That's just that's despicable. You know that wasn't happening. You know that they are trying to justify themselves, and they're out there treating their employees this way. And then, unfortunately, you hear that this is something that's not uncommon. It's just ridiculous. Oh, absolutely right. Samson, your thoughts? Well, I mean, for those of the listeners out there that didn't hear last week's show, you could actually hear the anguish in this young woman's voice of what she had to endure at the hands of those both peers and employers. You know, and the fact that she was treated in such a manner, you know, and harshly and unequally, you know, amongst her, again, amongst her peers. I mean, it, I don't know, it's just despicable that even in this modern, quote unquote, modern day and age, that the amount of persecution and discrimination and honestly just nepotism that's in the corporate workspace uh, still exists. Well, and we're going to deal with that. And we're going to deal also with the contradiction uh, addressing the, uh, the fact that her so-called position was eliminated. Uh, That's not what the calendar or the projected calendar uh, stated. And we're going to get into all of that 
uh, as a result, uh, again, of the information that we have tonight. Uh, I'll tell you what, it is, it is something that is it's very troubling, uh, and we're going to have to deal with it. Um, how do we change it? How do we get to a point where we hold those people accountable uh, that treat citizens and hardworking Americans this way? Uh, we're going to deal with all of that, folks. So, again, hang on to your seats. On the other side of the break, we're coming back. Nick Wright, the story of tragedy. We'll deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Yeah. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes, and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African-American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com. In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it too. Because some veterans are being left behind. 20 of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. My nephew Joshua was 13 when he was killed in 2001. Was living with me at the time. He asked me, can I go by Billy's house? I thought, well, you know, what's the harm in that? You know? My mistake was I assumed that there was a parent home. I assumed his father had his weapon properly secured. The kid had removed the magazine, so the kid was sure that the gun was safe. And he, what he didn't know was there was a bullet chamber. Joshua had this fear of weapons because he lost his mother to gun violence. I think this kid really pulled the trigger to show Joshua that, that it was not dangerous. The hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is to tell my mom we have to bury her grandson. The pain was so great we just wanted to do something positive and we also wanted to try to prevent families from experiencing the same pain that this put my family through with again working with the end family fire campaign family fire is the accidental shooting of a family member with a weapon that was improperly secured improperly stored it's a difficult conversation for people. You don't want to ask or say anything to your neighbors because you don't want to offend them. But there are important things we should know. Where are they going when they play? What is the environment of that home? We have to understand that children are inquisitive. They're curious. And there's not one corner of the house that they haven't gone through. If you're a gun owner... You have to make sure your weapon is inaccessible. It will save the family from the pain and the trauma that my family's put through. 
because once that happens, it's forever. And if I could prevent one family from experiencing that, then his life will have some purpose. Please have a seat. I'll be honest. Your resume, I don't want to amuse you. I know. Okay, so what would you bring to my company? What do you need? I need a hard worker. Good. I've got two part-time jobs and to help my parents pay the bills. Any problem-solving skills? I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot, and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we continue our discussion regarding the Tanique Wright story. And you can categorize it as a tragedy, an act of injustice, and an act of cruelty on the, on the part of Ball Metal Pack and Platinum, who have done some things here that we talked about a week ago that was simply outrageous. It is heart-wrenching. Uh, tonight we deal with the final part of our series regarding Tanique Wright, uh, who is in studio tonight as our very special guest. Uh, and Ms. Wright, thank you so much for joining us uh, in regards to this issue. Uh, we were talking a little bit during the break uh, in regards that the claim by uh, Ball Metal Pack was simply that uh, your position had been eliminated or was, or was set to be. Correct. And 
but you happen to be scheduled for a it was called the HR summit, which is where they're going to bring like HR managers who are in the field mm-hmm. to the corporate office and going to have like a two or three day meeting with everybody. And I was scheduled to speak um, on April 28th of 2020, but my position was so-called in- eliminated on March 27th of 2020. Doesn't make any sense. My understanding is those type of engagements are scheduled out far in advance. Right, because you got to fly people in and you get... You need to have your presentation uh, made prior to them coming in. So, and not only you were not just attending this uh, meeting, you were a keynote speaker. Correct. Uh, anybody that works in corporate America can tell you right now uh, that what they're trying to sell is is hogwash uh, in regards to Miss Wright. Schedule people are flying in. You are scheduled to speak. Really, and to motivate others in that meeting, uh, if you want to call it that, if, if a kind of a coming together and team building or teamwork type situation. Yeah, and going over the things that I was responsible for, which was recruitment. I managed the relationship with um, our RPO partner. And so going over uh, how we can better serve them and that kind of thing. I mean, ultimately, the event was canceled due to COVID. Um, but that was the only reason it was canceled correct. due to COVID. It had nothing correct. to do with any type of performance issue. No. Uh, by Miss Wright. Um, Dave Zapolo, you've had some experience uh, in corporate America. How crazy is this one? That's insane because you're less than 30 days before that type of an event. And at the time that she was like, oh, it wasn't canceled yet. And you turned around and fired one of the keynote speakers. That just doesn't make any sense. Which means something else had to be had was the motivating factor, uh, Miss Wright, of of what they have done. It speaks to the maliciousness, uh, the malice that this thing was done with. Uh, uh, William, your thoughts? That's true. I mean, you know, with that being planned, you know that the intent was not there. You know, absolutely. That they were they were going they set out to you know, basically fire get rid of it. So it was it's wrong. It's really, it's really cool. And it really leans towards the argument that with this stroke situation, uh, they pounced and did what they did to make it even worse for you. Uh, that's a bad situation. David, your thoughts? Well, it's it's the same old thing. Uh, corporate America is, a, in many instances, a, is an abusive dog-eat-dog type world. There are people uh, in many corporations uh, undermining other people for their own uh, selfish benefit. Um, it's just something that happens, and all of it starts with the culture. Ball Metal Pack has permitted a culture, a toxic culture, to uh, exist and to endure in the, in their in their company. So they're they're clearly liable and clearly responsible because everything the buck stops at the top. Uh, so if if the leadership didn't do anything about it, it, it it's sad, but uh, that's why. Uh, uh, Ms. Wright has to fight through the courts to try to get some sort of uh, some sort of some sort of justice for uh, the wrong that was done to her. But Ball Metal Pack is a all you can say is a despicable company. Leadership could have stepped in; they could have resolved the issue. Instead, as as is as is as in so many cases, they circle the wagons, 
Uh, it's all about money. We don't want to have to pay for your your medical benefits uh, under uh, what federal legislation uh, says you have to pay for them. So let's uh, find a way to get rid of them so we don't have to pay some money. It's just it's just absolutely disgusting. Go ahead. I was going to say, and in my experience, anytime they say you they hire you and your position is going to end, and you know that, then when the time comes, like maybe 90 days, 60 days before you start sharing work, like, hey, this is that. Number one, my job was never a temporary job. That's, that's one of the lies that were told. They never said that to me. I was hired on. Here's your job. Um, another thing, I was right in the middle of purchasing us an LMS, which is a learning management system. So even the people that I was working with from third parties, they were probably like, well, where's Penny? Because I'm right in the middle of it. So if we're, we're knowing it's going to end, wouldn't you come and say, okay, Penny, what are you working on? Introduce me to who, who you're working on with projects and not. No, you just follow the planet. It just doesn't make any sense. No. So, so were you hired, you hired contract? Or were no, you I was full-time employee. So they just came up with this was temporary. Yeah, that my job was just uh, eliminated, and I was only there to start new pro the new programs, and that when the programs were in place, that I wasn't going to have a job. So, so you weren't hired through a staffing company? No, I was hired on directly through Ball Mental Health. Full benefits already. Correct. So that's, mm -hmm. not how, that's not how companies do business. You want a temporary employee. You go to a temporary staffing agency and get that employee and uh, hire for for yeah. six months. Or so. so if you are a temporary employee, as they as the falsehood that their narrative really that they're given, you would have never been hired as a permanent employee with full benefits and all of those 401ks and all that good stuff. Uh, why would you do that for a temporary a temp? You're not going to. Well, that's also you know that's part of the incentive. A lure to get you into the company. You know, they they want to sell themselves the opportunity, you know, that they, we take care of you. Here's our 401k. Here's the matching. Here's stock options. All these things. It's a big package that they put together, the, and that's the thing to bring you into their fold as a full timer. But if you're a contract worker, you know you're there for six months or you're there for a year. That's it. You already know that, and you, and more than likely those people are not. They're not um, in positions where uh, kind of like to Tanique's point, where they're making management-based decisions or they're trying to do something long-term. Your your focus is six months worth of work or 12 months worth of work. That's it. So you, so And then you're out. Well, I can tell you right now that the investment into a person uh, or permanent position, you're not going to be working with corporate heads uh, to the level of HR management. And Scheduled events, scheduled different things, projections in the company, uh, what, what the company was looking at down the road quarterly, uh, what they were looking to meet goals and to meet different things and, that they had wanted to see, uh, doesn't meet the uh, standard for a temporary worker. Well, I had something, we worked off something called an HR scorecard that tells you what your responsibilities are. And that was based on, so everybody has a scorecard and you have a percentage for bonus. So if you meet all yours, okay, here's, that helps to go for everybody to get a bonus. People in the manufacturing plant, they have a scorecard. So my scorecard had me doing um, assignments and projects all the way through 2020. So I don't know why I had a scorecard mm -hmm. for jobs. If I'm not going to be there, why was, why did you have assignments for me for a no, second no and third quarter? Mm -hmm. Your position title was director, wasn't it? Uh, director of talent management? Yes. A director is hardly ever, I mean, it's almost unheard of that a director would be hired in a temporary phase. 
And, and Tunique, to, to I think the last show you mentioned, you were traveling to other sites and locations to help set up different pro- projects and initiatives. Is that, is that correct? Correct. So Ball Metal Pack was a spinoff that uh, was sold to uh, Platinum Equity and then Ball. And so they didn't have a performance review plan. So I created it. And our COO at the time was saying, you're not just going to create it. I want you in the field. And I want you to actually train everybody on what the new um, uh, performance review plan is going to be. So we had plants all over the country. And so I traveled to the plants, met with the plant managers, met with the HR, local HR managers, and then the supervisors and managers to tell them what this looked like, what their responsibilities were for, and to give them training um, so that they could train their uh, employees. Well, sounds, sounds like you got uh, somebody that want to – Lack of a better term, Negro advancing up. Uh, so, of course, look like some of your uh, co-workers. Uh, well, my boss would tell me often, she would say, uh, people like you. She said, I wish I, I would have that trait. People like you. They come to you. They talk to you because people will come. And I wasn't even over HR. That was a counterpart. But they would try to come to me and talk about HR operations, which is stuff like employee relations. And that wasn't my job at this job. And people will come. And she would say, I love that trait. You have that care." Characteristic where everybody likes you when they come to you because she's she's a closed off. Yeah, she didn't like them. Yeah, yeah and she jealous, sounds like yeah. she was jealous of your 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 initiative and people uh, came to you for for looking for answers. So well, there was this one time where it was in October of 2019, and an employee came to me and said, you know, the morale here is very very low. It was people were depressed. You know, it wasn't like when when I first started there. And she said, is there anything we could do? very cheap. They don't have any money. So um, I initially went to her to ask. She said we didn't have any budget. So I knew the CEO, walked in his office many times. And I went in there. I said, all I need is $300. You want to do something for Halloween? Can I have that? He tells me yes. So me and the other employee that were in there were excited. We're going to do something to, to bring employee morale. And then we were at a HR off site. And she pulls me to the side. And she was upset that I went to the CEO over $300 to for employee engagement. And then, of course, because he, I would just say it, was a wimp, instead of him saying, I told Tanika it was okay, he says, oh, no, I told her to come talk to you. That conversation never happened. And I remember the employee was like, he just straight basically lied. And she's upset with me because he approved $300. But it was because I asked for it. Wouldn't you come to me and say, Tanika, that was such a great idea? Instead of getting mad that I, and then she said, you went over my head. It's $300. Like, Halloween. you're the VP of HR. Like, do you even have time to deal with something so minimal? And how is the CEO that big a coward? Uh, he, had, he needs to be some cojones. Mm-hmm. He, so he's letting his uh, this minion mm-hmm. pretty much tell him and uh, scare him into... Mm-hmm. Uh, Basically look. saying, tell Tanique she can't talk to me. Talk to me. She's got to come to you. And the employee was like, Tanique, I was sitting in the office when he gave us permission to do it. Well, look... Mm-hmm. Halloween. If, if folks can't do that nice for Halloween, uh, $300, again, the, the fix is in on this one. And the fix was to get rid of Tanique Wright. She was a threat to people maybe moving up in the company. She had access to the CEO who respected her position, respected the fact that she basically, he had to give her the open door okay to come to him about issues. Uh, this is beginning to smell to high heaven. 
We're going to deal with it. We're going to come right back to Nick. We've got our guests coming on. I'm going to get your thoughts. You're going to have a conversation with Eric Mish. I'll tell you what, he's got something to say. We're going to continue this issue. The stack is being stacked very quickly. That this, this was a motive and an intention to muzzle Miss Wright at whatever cost, even at the cost of her life. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. This is Julie. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing you want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add you to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people. 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local, 
or a regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have been in discussion regarding the Tanique Wright tragedy, and I'll tell you what, uh, as we get into this even further, you begin to see the layout, the planning, the premeditation, if you will, to do to Miss Wright what they did to her. Uh, that's got to be, should be punishable. Uh, and folks should be held accountable for that fact. Uh, and, Tanique, you had something else you want to add, and we're going to bring our guest on. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, here's an email that I got from my boss on February 14th, 2020, and she says, hooray, capital letters, great job. And then she said, now on to PMP 2020. What that meant is PMP stands for Performance Management, uh, and 2020, you do reviews a year in the rear. So the, the review that we did in 2020 was actually 2019. So she's saying now we're on to preparing for reviews done um, in 2020 for 2021. Well, then why would I be on this email and you tell me now on for the reviews when um, my job is supposed to be eliminated in literally 30 days from this email? Wow. Doesn't make any sense. And this is the stuff we're talking about, folks, that people should be outraged. Let me give you a little uh, summary, if you will. Miss Wright suffered a massive stroke. What we believe to be the actions of Ball Metal Pack is the platinum, is platinum equity. equity. Platinum equity, along with Ball Metal Pack, suffered a massive stroke. Um, and your life has not been the same since. Is that right? Right. That's correct. Um, I know we had talked before. Miss Wright was a very outgoing person, uh, very active. Um, I believe at one point uh, a hiker. Right. Uh, you still a lot of these things that we like to do. 
uh, in life, on holidays, uh, uh, special occasions. Uh, maybe you have a barbecue. Maybe you do these things that we as Americans do traditionally. And we say that as Labor Day approaches Monday. Uh, how did that all change for you? So much, though. Like you said, I um, every time there were holidays went around, I would go hiking. Um, one year I went boating to Lake George, um, go to Denver, go shopping. And ever since the stroke, it's like any other day. And I have a saying that I say um, to myself when I look in the mirror sometimes. I say, I miss Tanique because the things that I used to could do, you know, you can't do. It affects you in so many ways. Like, even one thing for sleeping, like I did a um, sleep study, and they said that uh, my overall sleep efficiency is 51%, and that they call it spontaneous arousals, and they said that happens to me 20, 26.6 times an hour, and that means that I wake up uh, or interrupt, and, uh, and they last from 3 to 15 seconds, and if it lasts over 15 seconds, I wake up. You can't sleep, and that's I was talking to my mom uh, the other day about that. I said, since I've had the stroke, I have not had a night where I can say I've gone to bed and I slept the entire night. If I sleep for three hours, I wake up. There's so many times I can't even count. Um, so you can never get like full sleep because your, your, your brain is always, I don't know. It's like it just can't shut off, I guess. As we said last week, the stress impact of Ball Metal Pack and in the workplace. And our guest that I'm going to bring on tonight, uh, we're all going to have a conversation. I want him to hear more of your story. I believe he has a lot to add. Eric uh, Mish, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I had a chance to talk to Eric yesterday or the day before. Uh, outstanding gentleman. Uh, has a heart for this topic and what we're dealing with in workplace, stress-related health and issues like that. I'm going to bring him on now. Eric, are you with us? Yes, I'm on. Can you hear me? I can. Eric, thank you so much. It's good to talk to you again. And thanks for joining us tonight for this very important uh, conversation. Uh, as we've been having a discussion with Tanik and our co-host here, uh, we appreciate you taking time to add to this conversation. We're so very glad about that. I'll let you introduce yourself to our listeners, to our host, to Tanik, and uh, we're going to get into some more dialogue here, okay? Yes, sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. And as I listen to Miss Wright's story, my heart just goes out to her. And I just, it's, it's so troubling to see situations like this happening in the workplace. Uh, and as I'm gonna share shortly, unfortunately, it is not an isolated incident. But a little bit about myself, I've worked in the human capital management industry for the last 15 years. So a lot of what Ms. Wright was talking about, the language she used is very familiar to me because working directly with HR departments and CFOs and CEOs in small and mid-sized businesses for the last 15 years, I've gotten a real bird's eye view into how a lot of businesses are working, running, and in particular, how HR is interacting with employees. And some of the things that you see just as an outsider, as a third party are quite troubling a lot of times when you really get an inside view of, of organizations. And I happen to work for a large corporation. It's, it's the largest payroll and HR company in the world. 
Uh, it's a 70-year-old company. It's very reputable, uh, one of the largest sales organizations in the world. And um, <laughs> and workplace stress was a part of that environment too. So um, yes. I think the key here is that uh, no organization, whether they're a very small business, a mid-sized business, or a multinational, is immune to dealing with the effects of workplace stress. Right, right. Uh, so, Eric, listen, we were talking a little bit uh, regarding the, it sounds like the competitive competition, but really, um, how do I say it, uh, not friendly competition, uh, but competition really with Miss Wright, her work ethic, all that she worked hard for, going to college, getting that degree, uh, and what, 20 plus years in human resources experience uh, to the point you even heard on, on one of the, I guess, I guess they call it a kudos, uh, as Tanique shared what she had reached, different things she had accomplished. Uh, the same boss that targeted her and did what she did, Ms. Janice Rodriguez, is that correct? Correct. Uh, came back and said, man, great job. We're excited. Uh, this is not a person who is looking uh, to get rid of someone. This is somebody who, through the work ethic of Ms. Wright, was making the company look good, was traveling, going to different locations for the company. This is She was projected to go uh, to a seminar in April, uh, and yet they said her position had been eliminated a month or two prior, uh, roughly in that ballpark. Uh, it does, nothing adds up here. And then when she had the stroke, um, they pounced. Uh, when she couldn't, she was, she could not even hardly speak. Is that right, Miss Wright? At that time, correct. Uh, and they pounced harder as a result of what Miss Wright has said. Her life has not been the same. Uh, and Miss Wright, explain to Eric, if you can, just a little bit of some of the things that you struggle with whether it's your speech, whether it's feeling deathly ill at times. And the fact of the matter is, this happened, Eric, in a COVID environment. This, this, yeah. this one, this one, not, it would be bad either way. But you did it in the middle of COVID. When people were dying, and, and I think they told Ms. Wright, that, Ms. Wright that you were high risk for COVID as a result. Correct. So they sent happened. me home early because they said I would be safer at home than I would not. So. Explain that, um, Just so some of the things I think that bother me the most uh, probably is like uh, mind confusion. Um, sometimes, and I've had friends and family say this, that they'll say something to me and then I repeat it and they'll say, where did you get that? That is totally not what I said. And you feel, you know, confused, like kind of you're in a black hole by yourself because and you feel stupid because um you don't that's what that's what i heard but it's like it goes through my brain and when it comes out <laughs> i don't necessarily understand um there are times where i've sent an email and i'll go back and read it and i'm like i read that and i'll read it over to myself two or three times and it made sense but then when i walk away and come back it's totally confusion and sometimes i have you know i have to go back and apologize for what i sent because it doesn't make any sense um and even getting lost, um, there's, um, you know, times where I'll do things, um, like on Saturday, I do some kind of volunteer stuff and 
I go there every Saturday and I'm embarrassed to say, but two weeks ago, I don't think the people knew that were with me that I got lost. And I remember I pulled over to the side of the road and I couldn't remember where I was or um, where I was supposed to be. And I didn't want to call anyone because um, it's like, I've been in Colorado since 1988. So that's a long time. So, you know, and if it's something that you do on a regular basis, you should remember where you're going. And I had to just pull over and calm down. I got my GPS out and um, put it in and then I was able to go where I went. And I never told them that the reason why I was not there on time is because I didn't know where I was at. Um, I think some of the other things like just this week, I was at home and had been at home all day and I decided to go out um, for to take care of something for about an hour and a half. I was fully dressed and mind you, I spent the whole day in the bed. And I was fully dressed, and all of a sudden, I got extremely dizzy, lightheaded, and um, I had to sit down on my bed, and then I had to lay down on my bed, close my eyes, because um, it was almost like, the only way I can describe it, if you've ever had a migraine, and you see all the spots, that's what it's like, and it's like your mind is just going all over the place, and I was so dizzy, and I'm a person that's very independent, so I was going to call my mom, but... I said, just give yourself time, Tanique. It's, you know, you're only driving like 10 minutes away. And I stood there or laid down, down there for 30 minutes. And then I was able to go to my destination. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Thoughts on that. My heart goes out to, to Ms. Wright. I, when you consider not only what the immediate effects of something like this are, but the long-term effects that this is something she could be dealing with for years and potentially decades that is that is quite an impact and yes. um lamont do you mind if i just cite some some statistics no, here to help your listeners understand the real magnitude of workplace stress because no absolutely i don't yes, please. i don't think that you know and you know i i have some statistics to actually back up what this is doing to our society, it is a highly underrated uh, issue that we're facing. And I just wanted to share a couple statistics. So first off, uh, work-related stress causes 120,000 deaths and results in $190 billion in healthcare costs every single year. I mean, if that, that should be on the front page of the New York Times why there is not more of a spotlight on this, that, that statistic is just startling. And this is from the American Institute of Stress. And this statistic was also put together pre-pandemic. So you can just imagine with pandemic now, the impact that workplace stress is having on employees is just skyrocketed from there. Another statistic, 83% of U.S. workers suffer from work-related stress, 83%. Now, we've talked about the impact to the employees. However, work-related stress also affects employers and business owners in a very negative way. And so I just, I wanted to also share some statistics around that because employers sometimes don't realize the stress that they're creating how that is affecting their bottom line. 
So stress causes around 1 million workers to miss work every single day. U.S. businesses lose up to $300 billion annually as a result of workplace stress. So uh, depression leads to $51 billion in costs due to absenteeism and $26 billion in treatment costs. So it is directly hitting their bottom line, and oftentimes they don't even realize it. So we can talk about the impact to employees in the workplace, um, but, but also everyone's affected, including society, because right. all of our healthcare costs rise as, as a result of this source of, of stress. And, um, and something has to be done about it. It's way out of control. It's, it's at its highest peak um, ever. And now, as I mentioned, with pandemic, you can, you can just add on top of the statistics I just decided. So I'm going to say it's, this is an epidemic in itself. It's called workplace stress. And Eric, down to situations like Ms. Wright's situation. Um, I mean, the numbers you cite are astronomical. Uh, so not only are, you, are companies losing money, communities are losing the benefit of successful companies as a result of this. So everybody's affected uh, by it, whether it's the unemployment rate because people are depressed, they ultimately lose their job or they don't want to go back. Um, or you're dealing with people where they may try to go to another job and people are out of job as they're looking, affects the numbers across the country. Uh, so it sounds like there's not an area uh, in our society that this does not touch and that people are not affected. Would that be a fair statement? That's absolutely, absolutely correct. And it affects people of all ages, of all different backgrounds. Uh, uh, it, there's, it has no discrimination. It is universal uh, in, in its impact. So even young people, the, the, the younger workforce, our, our millennial generation, uh, those in their late 20s and 30s uh, who represent over 50% of our workforce currently are experiencing astronomical workplace stress. And their health as young and normally healthy people is being affected as well. And because we're in the middle of a pandemic, all of us need strong immune systems. What's one of the first things that's affected when we have or we're dealing with stress? We're dealing with lack of sleep, as, as Ms. Wright mentioned. Uh, our circadian rhythms are in balance. Uh, we're, we're not uh, able to take care of ourselves the way we need to uh, because of the workplace. It leads to weakened immune system. So everything snowballs from there. So it is a major, major issue. So stress is a contributor to lowering your immune system, if I'm hearing you right, which makes people at risk to, the, to COVID, Correct. which can take lives. That's over the top. Dave Zapolo, go ahead. Yeah. 
But when you see companies like Ball Metal Pack who purposely put the stress on Tanique through racism and discrimination, do you see other companies that are seeing that are purposely putting the stress on people and know they're doing it? And what are, what are, what do you see companies doing to help stop some of this? Great question. In some cases, uh, there is an, in, an intent to create more stress and anxiety in a specific employee that's being targeted or just in the workforce in general. In other cases, and probably more often, it's, it may not be intentional. However, it's just due to poor culture, bad management practices, poor leadership. Uh, I think uh, we had talked about at the beginning of this discussion, you know, the importance of leadership. Uh, number one reason why employees are dissatisfied with their jobs and end up leaving is because they hate their boss. That's the number one reason for turnover within organizations. Um, that often causes a major source of stress. However, um, there also can be stress created between employees or peer-to-peer as well. And that's when we look at things like bullying, um, intimidation in the workplace, sometimes even discrimination, uh, you know, harassment. Um, these are all real things that employees deal with today. And yeah, yes, to answer your question, sometimes those things are intentional and uh, it just makes it that much more egregious because the effect of it is a lot of times the people causing this stress don't realize the effect. You know, everyone goes home to their individual lives and their families and carries stress from the workplace home with them. And it spills over. I mean, we can really unpack this if you want and talk about the impact to families and marriages and relationships. And it just is endless of what kind of an impact this can have. Well, on top of that, in the situation, Eric, with Ms. Wright, um, for instance, we talked last week in regards to, and I don't know if you had a chance to listen to any of that show last week, but we had an opportunity to talk about the weather conditions uh, here in Colorado can be very uh, troublesome in the winter. Uh, Ms. Wright had a foot and a half of snow at her house. Uh, she was pressured to feel like she needed to report, even though the same bosses that she she reported to had given leeway to other employees to work from home, but felt a need to pressure her. So my question would be, or statement rather to what we just said, is that I do believe in some cases, some of this stuff is done ignorantly. People simply are not aware because of the pace of corporate America. But when you have somebody that's targeted, uh, say, for instance, I'm not going to treat you as fair as I would treat the next person, whether you're because you're African-American or because you're a woman uh, and those stigmas that, that come with that. Um, then something must be done at a serious level of accountability, that if I've contributed as a result of racial issues or gender issues, to a person, and I remember Ms. Wright shared last week, she, she thought, I better get out here on the highway and try to go, which was an hour and a half 
from her location or two hours. On a normal day. So in weather like that, it was probably going to be three hour drive. There's been times where I left work and it was snowing. I left at four o'clock and I pulled the car in the driveway at eight o'clock at night. And didn't you say the other gentleman that they were permitting to stay home lived at a much shorter distance? Yeah, he told me his commute was an hour away. And and I, I say that, Eric, to, to bring to the point or to the table that when people, the manipulation of, of organizations or companies, because, you know, you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with personality differences, you're dealing with people that, you know what, I just don't like you because maybe you're overweight or maybe you're right. black or maybe, you know what, you're just kind of an un, unattractive person uh, and we're going to just give you uh, this or that. Um, that's a different dynamic to the conversation because we like to believe people wouldn't deliberately be cruel that way, but that's not reality. People can be that cruel. And for me, anybody that calls me, uh, hypothetically, if I'm in a position like that and tells me I've suffered a massive stroke, my first thing is, oh, my God, are you okay? Take care of yourself. You're fine here. We have no issues. But because the culture, as we talked about earlier, and the hate and the cruelty to have no feeling of human decency and to make up things to say, well, you were, your position was eliminated anyway, it, it, it doesn't pass the smell test. It just doesn't. Yeah, they said it was already in the works before I had the stroke. Which is not the case because yeah. you heard nothing about it. Correct. Eric, your thoughts on that, and then we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back if you have time to stay with us. Yeah, and, and it sounds like Miss um, Wright has a case here. I, you know, this is this is something that uh, um, hopefully she's getting a legal opinion on because the law absolutely protects employees against discrimination of any kind. So if there is unfair treatment, injustice. Um, based on a number of, of factors, and including you know race, religion, orientation, all those those factors that are cited in in the Fair Labor Standards Act, then uh, she absolutely has a case. And um, this is this is the purpose of the law. We have laws that are in place to protect employees against um, these kind of situations. So. Does it occur? Unfortunately, it does all too often. Um, should it happen? Absolutely not. And and uh, and it's egregious and it's so unfortunate. And that is when that is when the the law needs to be applied. That the law is there to protect employees, and it needs to be absolutely utilized to to protect um, employees and ensure that fairness. Um, is applied in the workplace. And whether it's, you know, conscious or even subconscious discrimination, it's still discrimination and shouldn't happen. So it definitely needs to stop. Absolutely, Eric. Can you come back with us? I'd like to get some more details from you, some more stats from you, and also to talk more about Ms. Wright, but also the passion that drove you to do what you're doing today and being a guest on this show to address a very very important issue. Do you have time to come back with us? Sure. I'll stay on. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, Tanique Wright in studio tonight as a result of the 
unfair treatment uh, and really the violation of law uh, that is to protect her uh, in situations like this. Unfortunately, as that fight goes on, Ms. Wright must deal with the fact of what she has shared tonight. The fact she is sleep deprived. The fact that she cannot go to a location at times and remember where she is. The fact that she went to college, got her degree, got her education, and from what we hear, among the very best at what she does. All of these issues have been stripped as a result of the cruel and reckless behavior of Ball Meadow Pack and Platinum Equity. Someone must be held accountable to a mother, Ms. Wright's mother, June Wright, a senior citizen, 70 years old, has taken the burden now as a senior to care for her daughter in a very difficult time. This is outrageous. Something must be done. It is our hope at AJC, a just cause organization, that we shed light on this type of cruelty that did not happen again. Coming back with us, Eric Mish, giving some clear perspective of workplace stress. He's added to this conversation in a very big way. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America as compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 
57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention. Attention from older guys is totally flattering. They're so much more mature and understanding than the guys might. Age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really interested. interested in the same things I am. You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about chatting. Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with me. Meeting them is the goal. Once I get them out of their house, well, that's when things get really interesting. Online predators know what they're doing. Do you? Barred police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Graham footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You ever see any trauma? Anyone that's seen that 
and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice. And making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have been in discussion, a uh, very serious discussion, the Tanique Wright tragedy, a young lady, 43 years of age, 44 years of age, excuse me, suffered a stroke, a major stroke, as a result of the actions and conduct of Bob Metal Pack and Platinum Equity, uh, Janice Rodriguez, uh, the other young lady, uh, is Colleen Callies, uh, also with an agenda to target this African-American executive and going on in places and happening in situations far too often. Uh, we're in a time now in this country where a lot of organizations simply do not want to be a part of anything when it comes to racism uh, and targeting gender targets. Uh, as well as racism. It's unacceptable, and it, it's, it's becoming an issue in this country where people are becoming outraged, which is a good thing. Uh, we've been joined tonight by Eric Mish. He is a uh, gentleman that has well rehearsed in this topic, stress-related issues at the workplace, and the numbers that he cited, uh, we're going get, to get those numbers. I'm going to have him give them out again, uh, and uh, we need to get that information to you. It's critically important that these type of behaviors actually affect um, uh, our society as a whole, our, our local communities, uh, jobs in our local towns, in our in our in our in states, and things like that. Those are things we have to deal with. Erica, are you still with us? Yes, I am. And uh, thanks again for bringing awareness to this important topic. It uh, definitely needs to be talked about more often, but unfortunately, it is overlooked all too often. And I just wanted to just share one more statistic um, with sure. your audience, which is that, um, you know, employees in general are, ve are very unhappy about the situation um, and feel that their employers simply don't care about their yeah. work-life balance. And the statistics by survey show this. Um, only 43% of U.S. employees think their employees, employers care about their work-life balance. So uh, definitely the minority there. So that means 57%, uh, you know, think that, um, that their, employee, their employers don't care. Uh, and, you know, again, this is pre-COVID. Uh, there's, there's been so many situations now with the pandemic that are, are, putting employers in positions where, you know, they need to 
show understanding. In some cases, they are. In many, many cases, they are not. And that has an effect on employees, on their health, on their families, on many others around them. So it is truly an epidemic that needs to be stopped. Yeah, that's a that's a um, that's a tragedy. The numbers of people that care, um, you, you can't believe the numbers are that low. I do believe them because you cite those numbers. Um, that's a tragedy. Dave Zapolo, your thoughts on those numbers? Those numbers are crazy. When you look at the businesses that are out there today, and a lot of businesses, even Ball Metal Pack, talks about the work-life um, relationship, that you have to have a good, uh, a good uh, balance between your, your home life and your work life. But you see more and more that companies will just talk a lot and not actually perform the actions. That's and, and Eric, I presume this is what you – let me ask you this question since we're on the topic. What motivated you, I guess, to go into this area of corporate America, take a look and say, you know what, I need to be – really, I, I would consider you an advocate uh, for this issue. Uh, what drove you to come to this point? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of different ways that one could address the issue. Obviously, there's the legal angle in, in holding companies accountable. Um, my choice, my path was uh, a little bit different. I decided to work directly with organizations and in particular, business owners and leadership within organizations, the people that could really affect the change within the organization to educate them, uh, to, to, uh, to guide them, to provide an outside perspective, um, because oftentimes they are uh, very caught up in, in the operations of their business. They're really not able to step out and see the effects of their actions. Um, and at that, uh, a lot of the people in positions of leadership or business owners are under a tremendous amount of stress themselves, and they're taking it out. So uh, the, the, the interesting thing here in this case is Miss Wright is an HR professional, yeah. and her boss, I believe, was director of HR or VP of HR. Mm -hmm. So... You know, normally the HR department is responsible for working on things like employee relations and, you know, putting initiatives together that are going to improve the culture to prevent discrimination, to, to, to educate, you know, uh, people within the organization on, you know, in multiple departments, what is acceptable and what isn't. And yet this discrimination happened to her within the HR department. So this just shows how systemic this problem is. This, right. is, this is not just exclusive um, to certain organizations or certain areas within organizations. Even the HR department, who is supposed to be overseeing 
these kinds of issues for the entire organization is susceptible to yes. to falling short in this area. And obviously, it's led to a serious uh, injury of, of Ms. Rice. Oh, absolutely right. And I think that, and I like your point, Eric. Look, the Human Resources Department is there to ensure these things do not happen within the workplace. Now, the corruption, and that's what I call it, the cruelty, the targeting, uh, gets inside the HR head. Well, if you allow that at the human resources level, as you cited Ms. Wright being a HR professional, you don't expect that within their own department because they are seeing to it that employees are treated fairly. That's their job, that things work in a very uh, cohesive manner. It works good. Relationships, uh, open-door policies, all the things that I remember coming up, what human resources were. Uh, if you were an employee, you felt comfortable going to HR if you had any issue. Listen, man, this happened at work, and you, you believe they are there for your best interest. Now you have within the head of the department this type of mistreatment. That's what makes it, I believe, so very egregious. We have a caller. Uh, Latanya, uh, are you with us? I am. Go ahead, please. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to make a comment um, for um, Tanique. I I agree that last week they were talking about the jealousy and the racism. It is definitely that. And the the biggest thing that I have that bothers me, I guess, the most is anytime someone has a stroke, anytime you do other stress-related things, it could cause another stroke, which could lead to death. So it just kind of makes me wonder, was there a purpose or was there a point in trying to kill this young lady? Because, I mean, the, she was definitely jealous of her. And so to have her do all these things and then say her job was being taken away or phased out, it's obviously not true. So I just, to hear them say that, to hear some of the things she's gone through, my heart goes out to her. I mean, I'm so, I, I'm proud of her. She's a fighter. But I think that really the purpose was to really kill this lady. It's just horrible. And I appreciate your call. Um, look, when you're trying to f make rhyme or reason out of any of this, um, for instance, if you have a situation where someone is driven to mistreat somebody, you just never know what's going through people's minds. Uh, I think the, to the caller's point, uh, if you're in a situation uh, where you know a stroke can be induced again, you don't have to be a medical person to know that. Somebody has a collapse or a heart attack or anything that triggers these type of medical emergencies, then the question I would have for Ball Metal Pack, Platinum Equity, is did you not think when Miss Wright called you that your behavior was reckless? And if you thought it, you still continue. That's the question mark I have. 
and I appreciate the caller. We have another caller in queue. Go ahead and bring him on. Is this Donna Jones? I'm here. Donna Jim, go ahead. You have a comment uh, or, or a question for our guest? Yes, sir. You know, it sounds to me like they realize that they have a genuine person in Tanique, somebody who truly care about the people, and they just didn't want to look bad. For $300, she requested to bring up morale in the office, and they have a problem with that. Honestly, $300. Um, ball matter pack, you did not deserve Tanique. And the other existing employees that are there right now, they need to know who's managing them. And I fully support you in fighting this. And thank you, Tanique. Do not give up. We're behind you. Thank you. And thank you, Donna June, for that. Eric, your thoughts on the comments that have come in thus far? Yeah, people are outraged when they hear these things. And um, I, I can, I can, I can, you know, in my experience working with literally thousands of organizations over the years, um, what I found is that when these situations occur, it is highly unlikely that they're isolated. Um, and especially if it's occurring within the HR department. That, that shows a systemic problem within an organization. And, and it needs to be investigated. It needs to be audited. It, it has to be looked at because um, this kind of reckless behavior can cause serious in injury and damage. How many more employees have been adversely affected like Miss Wright. I, I can, I, I mean, from what my experience tells me, these kinds of situations are just one of many going on. So absolutely, yes. I, I, I hope someone can, can open up an audit investigation and find out exactly what's going on there because um, we cannot afford more people to be injured seriously and or suffer death. This is a life or death matter. It's serious and it needs to be looked into. Oh, and Eric, I appreciate your perspective on that. I think we got another caller, uh, Nina. Nina, are you with Thank us? Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I'm here. I just wanted to make a comment. Um, I feel for Tanique. I, I really do. It's such an unfair situation, what happened. It just seems like the human factor is just gone. It no longer exists with corporate America. All they care about are their numbers, their statistics, raising the bar to unrealistic goals, trying to intimidate people. It's really unnecessary. And then on top of having a stroke and just leaving her with no income or health benefits, I think that's absolutely horrible. But something needs to change. It really, really does. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you so very much for your concern. We, we appreciate that. Um, okay, Shantaria? Shantaria, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you for your call. Do you have a comment or question? I do. So for with Ms. Tanique and with these shows been going on since as of last week and, you know, even with today, I just think it's horrible with what's going on with her. I mean, the 
what boggles me by this company that's, you know, supposed to be supporting all their employees and have this good reputation, just the blatant disrespect that they have shown Ms. Tamik is just outrageous to me. It's, it's, it's appalling. And all those subtle racism, you know, tactics that they do of just doing things underhanded is just outright wrong. And, and realistically, the question that I have for, you know, the company themselves is do they really think that they can get away with this? You know, for me, word of mouth is some of the biggest ways that you can find out about anyone's reputation. So I'm really glad that this is going out, you know, into the community, out to the world, um, because it just doesn't make sense why you would do this to a person as good as she's been. And, and to anyone, it, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. No, and I appreciate your comment on that. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, the issue is, is that companies get to a level of being, they get to a plateau, if you will, of being so big, they feel themselves to be untouchable. Um, that's something that is very concerning. Uh, and like Eric, as you said moments ago, people are outraged. You see this young lady, I'm going to have for Eric, if, if you got another minute, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I want you to hear a little bit of some of the things that Ms. Wright continues to suffer. Um, and then I'm going to get, um, what I'm going to do is respect your time. I'm going to get your closing remarks. How do we go forward? How do we find resolution here? And AJC and a Just Cause organization, whatever we can do to get behind what you're doing and show support to that, we want to definitely do that. So um, do you have a, a, a couple of minutes left? Yeah, sure. I'll stay on. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. Tanique, go ahead. Um, I think one of the other things that I deal with is kind of like a form of, I guess the only word for me to describe that is like isolation. Um, before the stroke, I was the one that would, you know, go to friends, let's let's go out to eat, let's go to the mall, let's do this, let's do that. And ever since I've had the stroke, I don't ask that anymore. And um, some of the reason is because you never know how you're going to feel and I don't want to be you know, people are excited to go do an activity and I'm in the car and I have to say, after 20 minutes, I got to go home. So it makes you, you know what I'm saying? Not interact as much as you should. You know, I'm human. I want to have fun. I want to do things, but because of this, it's, you know, kind of um, not allowed me to, to do that. So that's something that I deal with, um, you know, on a, on a daily basis is, uh, you know, I live with my mom. That's, who I spend time and she works, you know, during the day. So I'm by myself a lot. Um, so that's something that I think, I don't think people understand that after you have a stroke that you have that, um, that you're, you know, not able to, to do those things. Oh, you know. Let me ask you a question, Ms. Reich. Um When you stop and think about where you were, how troubling is it to you or hurtful? that when you came in the ball metal pack, you looked at it as an opportunity to flourish, your skills to flourish, to be the best professional that you can possibly be that you've been over your career. How does it feel for a knife in the back and the feeling that my life simply did not matter? It feels horrible because this is my life. I remember, um, when I met with my speech therapist and she was, you know, talking about your future and different things. And she was saying to me, you probably just have to come to the realization that director BP, 
is not in your future anymore, and you have to just realize. And she said, well, where, where does HR start? I'm like, HR journal. She said, well, you might, that might be your future. And to have gone to college, you know, saying work, work this hard to be told that I'm only 44. I've got probably another 20, 30 years of life that I could work. And that, you know, Ball Metal Pack took that dream. They, in a sense, broke me. Um, they um, crippled me, in a sense. Um, because now if I um, do go um, and try to, you know, get a job, um, I have to have ADA accommodations. And every time they may say, okay, sounds good. And then as soon as I tell them, you have to be honest, I had a stroke and I need accommodations cricket never hear from them again so they crippled me so now I can't take care of myself my mother's 70 so what happens when she passes away who takes care of me what's left you know that they, they take away your livelihood um and I don't think they care and that's the sad part it's not just oh okay we didn't we gave her less vacation than everybody we didn't pay her we uh according to you know where she should have been paid we we didn't treat her right it's not just that you ruined my life. And then at the end of the day, you know, if somebody hurts you, it's human nature to at least it doesn't fix it, but at least for a person to apologize and to not care and to not apologize, that makes it 20 times worse. Um, so that answers your question. Thank you for that. Eric, let me get to you. Um, we'll give Miss Wright a moment. Um, I'll give you an opportunity to, give your closing thoughts today. Uh, first of all, let me say a very special thank you from all of us here at AJC Radio, myself, all the other hosts here at this table. Uh, I appreciate what you do and the education, the knowledge that you are giving people. That it, it is our hope that that will institute change at a very high level. Um, so I want to say thank you for, for uh, taking time um, to come on this show tonight. Janique, go ahead. And I would also like to thank you, Eric, and I hope that any CEOs or companies that are listening to the show will listen to like all those stats that you provided and truly change their culture so they don't end up uh, injuring and hurting their employees. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and thank you so much for having me on this show and bringing awareness to, to this. Uh, so important matter. Miss um, Wright, I just, every time I hear you speak about how your life is being affected, it just becomes so real. And the empathetic side of me just reaches out and just, you know, feels like just giving you a hug right now. Uh, Thank you. It, it, yes. Employers and senior leadership within organizations, HR professionals, need to hear this story. And I don't know how it ends in the end, but I have a feeling that it is not over. It is not over. And what I can say, Ms. Wright, is to continue sharing your story and may this story do a lot of good in the end, and I think it will. And what I also think is that in the scales of justice, 
And I'm talking about in the grander scheme, I do believe that the individuals that caused you this pain in the end are going to be held accountable one way or another. And I also do believe that you are going to be exalted in due time. So thank you. I appreciate in, that. Yes, absolutely. In closing, you, uh, you are, you are young and have a lot ahead of you and a lot to offer to other organizations and your greatest gift may at this point be not even your professional skills, it's your perspective and your story. And all I can say is hold on to that tightly, continue sharing it, and may it benefit millions and millions of people out there. And I hope for anyone listening who is in a position of oversight or authority or power within a, within a company, I implore you, listen to this story and learn from it. Learn from it because we need change and it starts with the individuals that are creating the pain. So thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I just look forward to helping anyone else out there that I can, if, if anyone wants to learn more about our organization and what we do, please visit our website, www.pbwhr.com. And you can connect with me directly through that website. That's pbwhr.com. And I would love to uh, connect with you further on this topic. Thank you so much, Lamont. Okay, Eric, and I'm going to be in touch offline. Uh... I got a feeling there may be some opportunities out there for Miss Wright. Uh, doors, of course, that I couldn't open. Uh, perhaps maybe uh, people you may know out in this in this world that we will share this story with in corporate America, all over social media. Uh, this story is already being pushed out in a very big way, along with these shows last week and this week as well. But me, you and I will talk again uh, here in the next few days uh, and have a conversation, if that's okay with you. Sure, absolutely. We'd be happy to. Okay, appreciate you. Take care. Be safe out there. And uh, until we talk, until next time, we appreciate you so very much for joining the show. Thank you so much, and have a great evening, everyone. Okay, thank you. There you have it, Eric Misch. Uh, I have to believe what he says is heartfelt. Uh, and if he is working for the largest HR uh, awareness uh, firm in the world, uh, Kind of has an idea of what he's talking about. We appreciate him and his perspective. Uh, coming back, we're going to deal with some more issues with Miss Wright. Is this series is coming to its end on this show for right now? Uh, but I, I believe that, and I'm going to get the co-host uh, their perspective of our guest tonight. I think he had a lot to offer. Miss Wright uh, seems very, very concerned for you. Uh, as anybody that hears this story will be, uh, and that's important because there's something to say here. Tanique Wright tragedy, the reckless behavior of Ball Metal Pack Platinum Equity story marches on as we seek for justice. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents who are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. So important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. 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 Become a part of the community. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. We have a big problem and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. 
big pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for big pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, They each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can have a place. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we are we have ourselves against uh, the clock right now as we get ready to close this show out. The Tanique Wright story, the true story of the injustice suffered by her, uh, by the actions of Ball Metal Pack, Platinum Equity, uh, really responsible uh, for causing uh, Miss Wright uh, to go into and, and suffer a massive stroke uh, and ultimately change her world forever. It is our hope that this story be told that others may not suffer at the hands of any corporation, in this case, Ball Metal Pack and Platinum Equity, for what they have done. Uh, Tanik, I know you had some other uh, issues you wanted to share that you have suffered, and let's take a moment to go down that road. Okay. Um, Some of the... Well, this... um I wouldn't necessarily say suffering, but just people treating you different. Well, that's um, a suffrage. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm a little kid. 
because I go somewhere and somebody's like, did you drink your water? Did you drink your eight glasses? You need to sit down. Are you tired? Are you, and that's, and I know it's out of concern, but it's, you know, part of that, people didn't ask you that. So you feel like you're taking attention away from other things because people are always concerned and worried about you. And so you just want to be normal. You don't want people to have to check on you all the time. Um, be worried, you know, if you drive somewhere and, and go somewhere by yourself, that you have to tell somebody where you're at because something happens. So you just, you, you don't feel like an adult anymore. You feel like a kid and you feel, I guess it makes me sad because I don't want, um, I don't know how to explain it. You don't want uh, people to have to worry about you, right? And I know that's um, something that, you know, my mother worries about, like having another stroke. So they don't want to upset you, but it's natural in life to be upset, to get angry. But for me, I have to be very careful about how I deal with that. So then you too have to, to be, I don't want to say in a box, but a vice, because you can't have the normal human nature reaction, because if you do, it could be deadly for you, whereas if somebody else did it, it's just natural. So you tend to try not to do things that, to make yourself upset. Even today, I got myself a headache because of there was something that happened and it made me upset. And you're constantly telling yourself, okay, don't, don't. And it's just hard because that's human nature. So you feel uh, at a point that these vices that have been put on you, these chains, if you will, uh, would go to the statement you made earlier that you feel like you have been crippled. Um, You are figuratively handcuffed. In a sense, correct. Yeah, you you feel that way. And you just want to be able to take them off. And like I said earlier in the show, I just want to be Tanique again. Understood. Um, William, your thoughts on that? I mean, it has to be extremely frustrating to be, it seemed like you're just in this vice all the time because of, you know, the cruelty of these people, you know, pushing this this young lady to this point. And, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to her, and, and she's living such a fraction of a life because, you know, these health concerns. And like you say, you know, you're, you're human. You want to interact. You want to, you want to get back to the old technique. Like you said, when you said that, you, I, can, I can only imagine how that feels. You stand there, look at yourself in the mirror, and realize that I'm not who I was. And then the question is, can I get back to that point? And then for somebody to tell you – you, your ambition was to be a vice president, to be an executive in a company. And then for someone to tell you, well, you know what, from this point on, you might have to do something less stressful. Well, I mean, these things, these things are hard things to swallow when you're 44 years old. I mean, I, I can't – it's just hard even to sit here and hear it because you realize that this person was robbed of a good portion of their life going forward. Well, this is why this is a mental cruelty. Um, It's not only the physical that is suffering here. If I feel like I'm a little kid, that is suffering. If I feel like I cannot move the way I used to, that is suffering. If I feel like I cannot reach my goals in which I 
strove for with getting my degree to go to the top and the very highest that I could go, then that is suffering. And for me, when I would interview and people would say, what's different about you for an HR professional? And I would say, because I make a difference in people's lives. So, and I would say, HR is not a job. It's not a career. It's a passion because I truly cared about employees. And I can tell you through my history, there's so many of them could say, Tanique made a difference in my life. So you didn't just take away a job. You take away my value. So when you don't, a person doesn't have value. You have. Understood. Understood. And that's why this company needs to pay. Because I'm telling you, if you look at this, this is a grave injustice. What's egregious? It is very egregious. It is inhumane. It you is. can't sit here tonight for the last two weeks and not be severely troubled. This story is not a story that will leave you when you go home tonight. This story will not leave you in a week. It's to Nick's point that this was not a job loss. It wasn't even a career loss. It was a passion taken. There's nothing greater than passion in anything that we do. You rob a man of his passion, you rob him of his dream or her dream. That's it. Yeah, just to to hear in you know, back to Williams' point too that he made that to hear Tanique say that they stole her life. I mean, it, if you have any shred of humanity in you, I mean, you you know what it means for a person to have aspirations, to have dreams, to have all that, you know, laid out in front of you. Like she said, she's probably had, you know, 20, 30 more years worth of, you know, work, work life, you know, career ahead of her. So to be, you know, not only crippled in your career path that's laid out before you, but, you know, like, like it's been pointed out, they took so much from her just by the way that they treat her. I mean, like like you said, it's egregious. It's it's probably one of the sickest things that I've ever heard. David? Well, I think uh, given what we've heard, you can uh, reasonably conclude that uh, Ball Metal Pack is the ultimate user, the ultimate abuser. This is what they are. They don't care about people. They care about money, profits. People are just a a necessary tool they have to have to do it. And they uh, they don't have they don't value anything but money. And uh, and maybe shareholders or or investors they don't they they don't uh, value their people. And ultimately. Um, that's a sad reality for a lot of corporations. Uh, you're just pretty much a number, just somebody you're, you're expendable. Uh, they don't care about your life, your health. They really don't care they, they, they they're just a institution that was set up to make money and they've ball, ball metal pack is a machine. Platinum equity is a machine that was set up to make money, uh, at the expense of its own people. And that's the only thing you can conclude, uh, from what's happened to Miss Wright. Let me share this statistic here. The average adult has $104 billion 
brain cells? Correct. During a stroke, nearly 120 million brain cells die every hour. This is what Bald Metal Fat did to this young lady. Um, a stroke causes a death every three minutes and 33 seconds. People die. Those statistics is again why ball metal pack and platinum equity must be accountable. You do not possess the power to go back in and revive 120 million brain cells that died. And that's per hour. And they don't know when my stroke started. So they think that it started two and a half days prior to that. So we don't know how, how much I lost. Tragic. Tragic. Three minutes and 33 seconds could have been the end of Miss Wright. She could not be here now. And you know what I kicked myself for is that I had stroke symptoms four o'clock in the morning of March 18th. I didn't know they were stroke symptoms at the time, and I worked the whole day for ball metal pack. As a stroke was And happening. I think what would have happened had I not worked that day and I went to the hospital that morning instead of working for a company that scared to about me. So in a sense, you can say, I risked my life. Give Miss Wright a moment. Turn the audio up on this piece. I will rise up. That is what is necessary now. Take a moment. our hope tonight that one name you never forget that is the name of Tanique Wright two names you do not want to forget Ball Meadow Pack and Platinum Equity must be held accountable you can find us
Thank you for your care, your concern, your perspective. Every host at this table tonight, to our very special guest, Miss Wright, for your courage, for your fight. AJC Radio and Just Cause Organization will not rest. Justices, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for allowing me a voice. What do we do next from here? We rise up, we rise up. Time America. Good night. See you next time.